This episode of the TSN MMA show contains coarse language. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA show interview edition. We've got lots of interviews to get to today, most of which contain athletes that will be competing on the January 20th card, the Wednesday card. We've got the two main eventers, Neil Magny and Michael Chiesa. They're going to join us on the TSN MMA show interview edition, as well as Roxanne Modafferi. Roxanne, I think it's her 43rd fight. And uh, if you count her uh, fights on The Ultimate Fighter, you're talking getting getting close to 50 fights. So a uh, pretty impressive career for Roxanne Modafferi. She's been there 17 years she's been competing. Think of where women's MMA was at 17 years ago. We'll, we'll touch on that in the interview. And finally, Cody Garbrandt, the former bantamweight champion of the world. He's looking for a fight, and he's not just looking for a fight. He wants to face one of the all-time greats in Jose Aldo. You have one of the, the best bantamweights to ever do it against one of the best featherweights to ever do it. That is a fight that I am very much looking forward to. Should it get signed, they're looking to get that done for April uh, around the same time as the Figueredo and Moreno rematch. So uh, we'll see if Cody Garbrandt is able to get that fight, land the big fish in Jose Aldo. And uh, that would be uh, really exciting to see. So let's get started with the interviews. We'll start off with uh, an interview with Michael Chiesa, followed by Neil Magny, Roxanne Modafferi, and Cody Garbrandt. Here they are on the TSN MMA show. We'll start with Michael Chiesa. It's the main event January the 20th, a Wednesday, rare Wednesday card. Michael Chiesa taking on Neil Magny. And as I said to Neil earlier today, this should be the uh, number one contender fight for the NMF championship. (laughs) <laughs> I couldn't agree with you more, man. Neil's a great guy. I actually uh, I went out on the balcony today. I got done with my workout. And I go out on the balcony, and I said something to someone down below. I was like, hey, how's life down there? And they, like, pointed at me, and they pointed up, and they pointed at me again, and they pointed up. I'm like, what are you talking about? I look up. Neil's, like, two floors above me. And I'm like, oh, shoot. <laughs> you know, he's a good guy, man. And uh it's it's always good. It's always nice you're competing against a guy that you have a lot of mutual respect for because it's just like it's just I feel like it makes the fights better. I feel like it makes them more exciting. Um, I know people love when guys are jawing with each other and people like the trash talk and whatnot. Um, not really my type of thing, and I don't think it's his either. But uh, he's a heck of a guy. He's a heck of a fighter. And it's gonna be a fun. It's gonna be a fun main event. Well, the thing I love about this particular fight is that you guys are so well-rounded everywhere. Like, you guys both have great grappling, great striking, great range. Um, you know, I think he's going to be bigger than you are, but he, he reminds me of what you were like at lightweight. Like, he's just very long, tall, yeah. rangy, and, and difficult to solve. So the, the puzzles that people had to solve with you at lightweight, you now have to solve at welterweight. Yeah, that's a, dude, that's a great analysis. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, the guy's 6'3", he's got an 80-inch reach. Um, very long frame he knows how to use it well too he knows how to use all of his tools very well he's very efficient he's got a great gas tank you know he comes from a good team he trains at elevation and he really just doesn't really have any glaring holes in his game he's just a well-rounded fighter he's solid he's tough he's got big wins he's got big big game competition um under his belt so uh and i have i have a lot of the same things that he does but you are correct this is a puzzle that i'll have to solve being the smaller fighter and, you know, one thing that was kind of challenging this camp is, um, you know, Neil's not an easy guy to find sparring partners for. To find a guy that's 6'3", with an 80-inch reach, they can wrestle, they can strike, they can kind of do everything, that's very hard. And we're, we're in the middle of a pandemic, and, you know, usually I'm very open to traveling to training and going different places or flying partners in. But that's a risk that I wasn't willing to take this camp 
Um, I did line out one trip down to Tucson, Arizona to get some looks in from, from some taller guys, some guys that are taller than me. And that worked out good, but I just didn't, I didn't want to get COVID. I didn't want my coaches or my teammates to get COVID. I didn't want to take that risk. Um, but we made it work. You know, I have guys on my team that are around six foot six one. Um, and we made do with what we had. And I, you know, I, I, I don't feel underprepared for what he brings to the table in terms of his size and his frame and those physical attributes that he has. Um, you know, but I have other guys like Austin Arnett, Jake Sebastian, young up and comers, Ashton, Ashton Charlton, who's giving me, I have this kid, Ashton in our gym, dude, this kid's such a stud. It's such a shame that the, that the world had to shut down this last year. Cause this kid was rolling. He's a name that you'll be see coming, coming on the big scene here in the next few years. Um, but I went and saw my, my teammate, uh, Tyler McGuire in Tucson. He trains with Joey Rivera in, in uh, his gym. He's got some good tall kickboxers, and Joey's a tall guy himself. So I was able to get some looks from some tall guys. There was only about one guy I got got to train with. It was Neil Size, and he was literally like the perfect Neil Magny. 6'3", 80-inch reach, the full kit and caboodle. Um, yeah, so uh, – you know, I'm ready. I'm ready for those physical attributes that he brings to the table, and I think that it's going to enable me to showcase more of my skills that some people haven't seen. And I'm excited for that. I'm excited for the challenges that he presents. I'm excited to be the shorter guy, and that sounds so weird because most guys wouldn't say that they're excited to be the shorter fighter. But I've never had to be in that spot really, so I'm excited to be in that role. Have to be the shorter fighter. Have to have to get inside his reach. Have to do things a little differently. I think it's going to be fun. Let's see how good my memory is. Didn't Daniel Spitz train with you a while back? Like he, he's like six seven. Yeah, Spitz would have been great, man. But I think he's he moved on to a different walk of life, and I wish him nothing but the best. Um, you know, he's retired at this point, to my understanding. Um, but you know, he's still doing well. He's still flourishing. He's still doing his thing, but just not really training in the gym anymore. But that would have been perfect if, to have a guy like Dan Spitz, man. And that's another thing too is I spent so much time training with Daniel. Um, during the course of his UFC career and his run, um, you know, I'm, I, I'm used to going with tall guys. I've just never had to compete against one. So I know what things I have to do differently when I'm, when I'm at a size disadvantage. So I rely on that. And, and I've been doing this a long time, man. I've been doing this. I've been in the sport for 13 years. I've been in the sport for nine years. I've trained with all different types of bodies, shapes, sizes, you name it, you know? So, um, I'm ready for this fight. That's the easiest way to put it. I'm, I'm very prepared for this fight, and I'm very prepared for what Neil brings to the table. I'm just more amazed than anything that I remembered that. But uh, moving on, you did something that I thought was very evolved last year. You know, when the pandemic hit, you went on Instagram and said, I'm not going to compete this year unless I'm at my absolute best. You know, there are all these hurdles. A lot of people are training at all these makeshift camps in their garage sometimes. I believe you trained in your garage for, for part of this camp as well. Um, it just seems like it wasn't the ideal training circumstances. And, and until you got that, because you're ranked, you want to protect that ranking, protect what you've built. And I just thought that was a very evolved move to do something like that. It wasn't just about protecting the ranking. I mean, I feel like it's, 2020 has been the year of like kind of kicking the rankings to the side. And it's more about the guys that are able to be active and go out and get wins during this pandemic. But I just wasn't in a position to do that. Like I live in Washington state. And our state still, we, they just now opened up gyms again. Like they opened up gyms for like a month and then shut them back down for like two months. Um, you know, and, and at the time when I made that post, I had zero training partners in, in Spokane. Like a lot of guys were like, like I have a lot of guys that like live 
from the they're like from uh from either from idaho or they're from like the west side of washington so a lot of guys went back home you know what i mean and wanted to be safe and a lot of guys went you know and even the guys that live in spokane they were they were being doing the things that were best to protect themselves and their families um even my coach rick i mean uh his dad had recently passed away may the colonel rest in peace but before his dad passed away, I mean, his dad was in his 90s and his he could not afford to get even a cold. You know what I mean? So it's like I really had a had a stretch where I had no partners. I was in no situation to leave town and go to a camp. I was in no position to even try to formulate one and try to put one together. Um, you know, and, and now I was able to make it work through this camp because I was able to get my hands on some gym equipment. And now I actually I built this awesome strength conditioning facility in my garage um i should i should send you a video and give you a little tour but i have like a miniature ufc performance institute in my garage i got like all sorts of different uh cardio machines i got a lot of different stuff so uh it, i was able to make the camp work this time because i had dedicated partners two dedicated coaches and guys that just like took chances for me you know what i mean like i I don't want to name the names of the, of obviously, you know, I just named Rick little and he's here in my corner, but, uh, you know, my, one of my other coaches back home took chances, opened his gym for me two days a week and made sure that I had partners there. Um, but we every, every single day was the same group of guys. There was really, like I said, we didn't bring in new partners. We didn't want any strange faces. We, we wanted to be safe. You know what I mean? And I didn't have that luxury when I had made that post, you know, midway through 2020, I just, I had no partners. I had no way to make it happen. And not to mention the fact that I had to have surgery. So, um, the time is right now. And I had, a, I had such a good camp, man. I was able to push myself hard. The sparring was hard. I got great looks. And the most important thing is I was able to push my body and to get into peak shape to be able to fight five rounds and I'm not injured. You know what I mean? That's something that's not a luxury I've had going into a lot of some of my best fights. You know what I mean? And I'm injury free. I'm healthy. I had a phenomenal camp and, you know, the stars really aligned for me to have a good performance on the 20th. So I'm very confident going into this fight. Yeah, I've talked to you about this in the past, um, you know, but when you were back at 135, you had a lot of different situations that happened that were just you could basically chalk it up to bad luck. Uh, that, that I think really hindered from wh where you could get in your career. Since you moved to welterweight, it seems like all of that is behind you. Do you feel like the weight cut played a really big role in that? Like all of the different circumstances that happened, not all of them are, are of course, weight cut, uh, weight cut related. But do you feel like now that you don't have to worry about that, you just have a more carefree attitude towards your career? Yeah, it's like um, it's not it's not carefree. It's just much more. It's so much more focused on what's important. You know what I mean? Like. Fighting at 155 pounds, I just carried around this stress year round where whether I was in camp or not, I was just always worried about my weight. I'm fighting my body. You know what I mean? I finally figured out the proper way to train, and it was totally counterintuitive to my to, to what I'm trying to accomplish. Like I truly believe as a guy that's much more grapple has a grappling heavy approach to their fighting style. You gotta lift weights. You gotta get stronger. You gotta focus on becoming a bigger, better, stronger athlete, bigger, better, stronger fighter. And that's not working when I'm almost six two and I'm cutting to fifty five and I'm lifting a ton of weights. Like it just wasn't working. You know what I mean? And and it was starting to break my body down. It was starting to make these weight cuts really hard. And I just hit this crossroads where it's like I either got to go back to training the way I was before when I was able to make fifty five a lot easier. 
you know, or I got to go up a weight class and stay this new course that I know is the right one. And I'm glad I went with the latter of the two. And I can honestly say a lot of that, the affirmation to make that move came from the UFC Performance Institute. And it wasn't really what they were telling me. It was just me going and spending two training camps in Las Vegas with Bo Sandoval and the whole staff at the UFC Performance Institute. And the way I'm training and doing my strength conditioning there while cutting weight, I'm like, God, this would be so much better if I didn't have this weight cut. I feel like I could get so much stronger and so much faster. And I know that that's, that stuff plays such a small role in the grand scheme of things. But at the end of the day, like when two guys are equally skilled, it's going to be the guy that's the stronger and faster fighter that can implement his skills over the other when the skills are equal. So, um, going up to 170 was the best move I've made in my career. And one of the best moves I've made in my life, my quality of life is so much better. I'm healthier. I'm I don't get injured as much. I can push way harder. And it's just, it's made, I'm able to enjoy fight week. I'm having fun during quarantine. If I had to make this cut to 55 while being locked down in quarantine, I would be so freaking miserable, you know? There was a video that came up on YouTube this week. I was doing some research on you. It was called, it was like, I believe it was called four minutes of Michael Chiesa being a very nice guy. And in the, in this video, I saw you <laughs> and Kevin Lee had connected. I don't know if you guys trained this thing together. So are you and Kevin Lee cool now? Is, is, is that water under the bridge? You know, but, you know, he's a good guy. I hope he bounces back soon. You know, the guy had double double ACL surgery within a year. Um, but, you know, yeah, I, the past is the past. Um, could we fight down the road? Definitely, maybe. That's a possibility. Um, but, yeah, that, that, that bad blood stuff is done and over with, man. I had a stretch of my career there, mainly between the, the Kevin Lee fight and the Anthony Pettis fight, where I, I stepped outside of who I was. And it wasn't good, you know, the, the trash talking and I was just kind of a mean person. I, I you know, there's things going on in my life that I was unhappy with myself. Um, and I was just, I mean, I guess the easiest way for me to say it, Aaron, is I was just a dick. All right, okay. Michael. Well, it's the main event yourself, uh, Neil Magny. It's January the 20th. Best of luck to you. Looking forward to seeing uh, your continued evolution in the, in the uh, welterweight division. Awesome. Thank you for having me on, Aaron. He's in the main event of UFC Fight Night. It's on a Wednesday. It'll be at night in Abu Dhabi. It'll be in the afternoon in a lot of the locales in North America. It's Neil Magny facing Michael Chiesa. I believe this should be a number one contender's fight for the NMF championship. The winner should face Stephen Thompson. You, you and Michael Chiesa are two of the nicest guys in the division. <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah, I mean, definitely uh, is shaping up to be that way. Um, it's kind of funny because I'm doing interviews and... Uh, a couple of interviews was trying to like, oh, how do you feel about Mike? Yes, how do you get this fight done? And like, I'm trying to like find the the meanest, nastiest thing to say. I want to do this to him. At the end of it, I'm just like, eh, a good fight. <laughs> like a fucking good thing called experience the guy. <laughs> well, Kiesa's kind of done the same thing. In the interviews I've watched with him, he says, yeah, you know, I really like this because it's a great competitive fight. I really have a lot of respect for Neil. I really like Neil. You know, but this fight kind of speaks for itself. And, and the thing I love about it is I find that you guys are two very similar fighters. You guys are both incredibly well-rounded, great everywhere. Um, you know, Kiesa was very long for 55. I'm not sure how much, you know, how long he is compared to someone like yourself at 170. But uh, like I mentioned, I think this is just a great fight because of how well-rounded both of you are. 
Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I feel like this fight's going to bring out the best in both athletes. And uh, it's uh, it's a lot of potential for whomever wins this fight. So um, the stakes to be are very high, and it definitely drives us both to be very competitive when we get out there. So um, as nice as we both are, at the end of the day, we are competitors. Um, and I think the competitive nature in both of us is going to come out on fight night. And uh, that's something to look forward to the most. Are we going to see a bit of the old Neil Magny in 2021, the one that did what Kevin Holland did last year, fight every couple of months, stay active? Is, is that the goal, or are you going to be a little bit more picky because of where you're ranked? No, not at all. On this job, I'm a man on a mission. I mean, sorry, at this point, I'm a man on a mission. Uh, the goal is to get UFC gold. So um, whatever it takes me to get there, I'm ready and willing to do that. If it means I have to fight the guy that's uh, number eight through number one in order to get my title shot, line him up. I mean, uh, the best part about fighting in January this year uh, is to have 11 more months to compete and get closer to my goal. So um, as active as the UFC would let me be, I'm ready and willing to fight whomever they put in front of me in order to get that title. But when you say whoever they put in front of you, like if they say, hey, we want you to fight this, this up-and-coming guy, he's not ranked, but we think it would be a good matchup, are you going to be a little bit more selective? No, not at all. I mean, if, uh, at the end of the day, it's, uh, it's going to be the performance, the wins, and uh, the things like that are going to build my resume, so to speak, for me to go for, move forward and fight for the title. Um, if it was going to be off of... Uh, uh, rank guys and that kind of thing, then Leon Edwards will be fine for a title right now, and he's not. So um, in my mind, is just going out there and, and uh, getting dominant victories and entertaining victories in order to uh, build up my resonates in order to fight for that title. You mentioned Leon Edwards. He was actually supposed to headline the card that you guys are now headlining. He's now That fight's now been moved to the middle of March, him and Hamza Shemaev. Do you think it's fair that he he's fighting Hamza Shemaev? Like, you look at the win streak he's accrued. The, Shemaev comes in and, in 2020 and makes a huge name for himself, but he's only fought once at welterweight. Do you believe that he's been put in kind of a bad spot by the UFC? Um, at the end of the day, like, it... it, it... I definitely feel like for the guy. Like, I personally think he's done enough to earn himself a title shot being on an eight-fight win streak of the guys he's fought so far. Um, but at the end of the day, he kind of picked and chose the the matchups that he that he wanted to get. I mean, um, there was opportunity for him to fight myself or Mike Chiesa or in, uh, several other guys in the top ten. And uh, uh, at, at one point, he said we weren't ranked high enough. He was only taking top five or better. Um, and here he is now fighting a guy who's not ranked at all. So um, do I feel for the guy? Yes. But at the end of the day, I definitely feel like he's making his own bed. And now he has to deal uh, with the decision that he's made up until this point. So um, I, I wish him the best. I hope he is able to come out on top against Shemayev and uh, eventually moves forward. But uh, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a very selfish sport. And we're all gunning for that number one spot. Do you feel like you have to make up for some lost time? I, I know that uh, you didn't fight, I believe, was for a year and a half, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and then you came back last year. Now here you are in a main event. But uh, do you feel like you have to kind of make up for that lost time and get more in cage time? Um, yeah, I mean, I absolutely think so. I mean, at the end, of, like I said, the, the goal for me at the end of the day is to uh, be a UFC champion. In order for me to uh, make that, that goal a reality, I need to go out there and compete as much as possible and um, uh, make these fights entertaining enough where the fans start demanding that I fight for a title. So um, if it means I fight three more times before I forget the title, I'm ready to do that. If it means I fight eight more times before I get the title shot, I'm ready to do that as well. Um, it's just about me going out there performing to the best of my abilities and uh, uh, making sure I secure a title shot at the end of the day. I saw an interview that you did with James Lynch. You mentioned that you'd signed with uh, Tiki Gossin to manage you. How much of a weight is it off your shoulder to not have to negotiate all of your own fights from, from here on out? Do you feel like it's now worth it to give that 10% to not have to worry about that part of your career? Um, yeah, it definitely eases the stress a little bit as far as uh, – 
uh, not having to be the bad guy or, or, or things like that when it comes to uh, the relationship with the UFC and that kind of thing. Uh, so to have someone to be kind of a bumper and get things done uh, definitely is good to have, and I, uh, I'm very appreciative for it uh, as well. Who do you think is the closest to a championship at, the, at your camp, at Team Evolution? I, I know you guys have a fantastic coaching team there, and we've seen what Corey Sanhagen did with his bounce-back fight against Marais. Obviously, Curtis Blades is always in the mix because of his fantastic wrestling in the heavyweight division. If you, if you were to guess one guy that could be champion from Team Elevation at the end of 2021, who do you think is closest? Um, I mean, to be honest, I feel like we had three guys that are just knocking on the door for, I mean, four really, they're knocking on the door right around the corner. I mean, uh, like you mentioned, uh, Curtis Blades is sitting right there, number two or three, um, just to fight away from fighting for a UFC title, and I feel like he can win it. Uh, Corey Sandhagen just waiting to see what happens between uh, Aljamain Sterling and Pinion, and he's right back in the mix fighting for a title. Um, I feel like Gaethje can mix it up at any different any given moment and be fighting either Poirier or uh, um uh, McGregor 40 years over for a lightweight title and then uh, you have myself who could be fighting for a welterweight title by the end of the year so uh, I definitely feel like we have some guys in our on our team that can break through and be fighting for titles before the year's up um, but if I was being realistic as far as who's the closest to making it happen uh, I, would, I would have to say Corey Sanhagen just because of uh, um, his division his skill set and where he's sitting right now in uh, into that division Yeah I've, I've spoken to both of your two of your coaches uh, I believe it was uh, Cody Donovan and uh, Vinny Lopez, and uh, I did an interview yeah. with them a while back. This was when uh, Curtis was going to have the rematch with Ngannou, and I asked him where Curtis's striking was at when he joined the camp, and they said it was like a, probably a zero or one, and, and that I guess at the time I had spoken to them, it had evolved to a six or seven. They said that Sanhagen was a 10, and I'm talking like this was like two, three years ago that they said Sanhagen was a 10. Is his striking really that legit? I mean, I know we've seen some of it in the cage, but how high is his ceiling? Yeah, I mean, uh, Corey Sanding is a very underrated guy, but like, uh, the thing that people failed to notice is just how long he's been doing this for. I mean, uh, you go back to some of the old team photos of Team Elevation, and you're you're seeing some of the guys who were fighting for UFC at the time. You're seeing old pictures of uh, like Nate Marquardt when he was fighting uh, Brendan Shaw when he was first part of the team. You see uh, photos of uh, Brandon Thatch when he was part of the team. But if you look closely in all those photos, you'll see Corey Sanhagen in the background of all those pictures. He was in those uh, team practices, training with some of these guys that are already in UFC uh, for the last nine, ten years at this point so um he definitely has acquired a lot of skills over the years um and uh has been sliding underneath the radar for the past couple of years but um i feel like he's finally hitting the the ground and getting the recognition he deserves for all of his hard work and uh uh the crazy part is he's just his ceiling cap is un, is limitless at this point. I mean, I, I feel like he can only get better and only improve from this point just because how good he is in the gym and uh the guys he keeps around him. I want to see him face Dillashaw because he won't admit to it, but I've heard the stories. I've heard the stories. I'm just going to leave it at that. Yeah, I mean, for, for everyone, it's like that uh, they had that one fighter throughout their career who's a measuring stick for him. For me, it was uh, it was Robbie Lawler. Robbie Lawler was the guy who, uh, when I first decided to go pro in mixed martial arts, was um, the, the guy who I measured myself against. I was like, all right, cool. The day I can start hanging with Robbie Lawler is the day that I know that I'm ready to go pro and pursue this as a career. So uh, to be able to fight Robbie Lawler 10 years later um, and perform the way that I did, it was definitely the uh, uh, the nod of approval. So I was like, all right, dude, you're doing the right things. Keep moving forward. Um, I wouldn't change a thing. Uh, so I definitely see uh, TJ being that matchup for, for Corey Sandhagen. I see uh, TJ being 
seen the uh, the ultimate test where he's like, all right, um, I turned with you six, seven years ago. Let's see what you made up today. And uh, let me go ahead and take this thorn off your hands and move forward with it. Now, now, when do you feel like you got to the Robbie Lawler level? Obviously, you beat him last year. But uh, at, at what stage do you feel like you really turned the corner? Because when you first joined the UFC, uh, coming off the Ultimate Fighter, a lot of people said this guy really doesn't have good control of his distance. You know, you had that length, but you, you weren't really able to use it properly. Of course, that has, that has changed completely since then. Um, you were extremely raw back then, and now we see that you're not the finished product. Nobody's really ever the finished product in terms of martial arts, but you, you've really gotten into your prime, and, and we, we've seen your improvements. But when, when do you feel like you really turned the corner in terms of uh, your, your evolution? Um, I feel like he's, uh, in his last three years is definitely a, a changing point for me. I mean, I feel like um, I went through some things uh, personally and in my um, my MMA career that kind of really forced me to uh, take a look at how I was uh, training, how I was performing in the gym and that kind of thing, um, and really start focusing in on um, the kind of fighter, excuse me, the kind of fighter I wanted to be and the things I need to get done to become that fighter. Um, so going out there and coming up short against Paz Nibio, um and, and really honing on like um, – uh, the coaches that I choose to work with and what they expect out of me, what I expect out of them, uh, and really get into a, a situation where uh, we're all in sync now, I feel is uh, what's going to be the key to success and the thing that um, really helped me turn the corner in recent years. I mean, um, at this point, my coaches can sit back and watch me perform in the cage, and it's like playing a video game for them sitting cage side. They're literally uh, calling combinations before they finish it. I'm throwing it out there, or uh, we're putting game plans together in the gym, and I'm going out there executing it flawlessly so um i definitely feel like i'm finding a position where um i'm in sync with my coaches uh i trust all of them with uh with my career um and we're just able to go out there and get done against anyone well you mentioned the last three years and uh as i mentioned to you earlier in the interview a lot of that was was when you were on the shelf because of the issue that you guys had with usada and, and the uh the, i believe it was a tainted supplement or whatever it was that kept you out of competition uh in that time you also became a dad uh, you, you had to deal with that kind of strife in your career. But you say that that's the time where you feel, feel like you're, you turned the corner. So what, what was the ingredient in the gym that you needed to, for everything to kind of click? Um, it, it was just the, um, like, a lot of it was just the, the focus and, uh, and just, like, the coaches uh, really buying in and, uh, uh, like, believe me in that much more and just uh, building on that relationship. I mean, uh, you watch every UFC champion, every champion in other sports, there's always that relationship between the athlete and the coach where um, they're just kind of – they're in sync to one another. They, they pretty much can, like, without even – uh, stepping on the mat, they kind of reach up his body language and understand, like, all right, cool, today's a day that we're going to not go as hard because I feel like you're overtraining or whatever it may be. Um, and it's just kind of there's just kind of that, that bond or that click that you have with the with the coach and the athlete, and I feel like I'm um, finally get I got to that point in the last two three years with my coaches where um, they're just in tune with me uh they know what i'm capable of mentally they know where to push me mentally physically um and they just know how to support me and uh bring out the best of me and uh i feel like that's what's been um the big shift in, in uh, more recent years as i'm fighting these guys that are ranked in the top 10 now top five and that kind of thing moving closer towards the title but this is kind of a strange question because it doesn't really relate to your weight class but the main event of course for ufc 257 is conor mcgregor taking on Dustin Poirier. Now, when you look at the sample size, since McGregor became the champion, when he beat Alvarez, since then he had the, the fight with Mayweather, the, the boxing match. Uh, he had the uh, fight with Khabib, and then he had the 40 seconds against Cerrone. How, how much improvement could he have made in that time? I mean, you look at what Poirier's done in those four years. He fought Max Holloway. He fought Eddie Alvarez twice. He fought Gaethje. I mean, he's fought like 
he has, I think, the hardest strength of schedule of any fighter in the last four years uh, when you look at who Poirier's had to face. Uh, but with McGregor, we, we, we don't really know what we're looking at. How, many, how much improvement do you think he could have made in, like, let's say, the last two years in the gym? Do you think he can be that much better of a fighter when he faces Poirier? Because I think we know how much better Poirier has gotten just from watching him. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, um, I, I, I mean, just personally going through it, I feel like you get to grow a lot when you're not necessarily going out there competing um, every three to four months. You get to really focus on yourself as opposed to uh, focusing on which version of yourself has to show up for this particular fight or fighter. Um, so Kyron Gary having so much time off compared to Dustin Poirier. Um, I feel like would work in his benefit. I mean, uh, he's been able to uh, kind of just pull a game plan together, pull a lot of things together and really kind of uh, hone on his own skill set and the type of fighter he wants to be. Um, and then the other side of it that uh, I think a lot of people miss as well is like, yeah, Prey has been very active since Connor's last couple of fights, but how much does that activity take away from uh, uh, Prey? I mean, um, yeah, at the end of the day, our chins aren't made of granite. I mean, there's only so many uh, shots we can take. There's only so, so many wars we can be in. So uh, with Poirier being in so many wars while uh, Kyle McGregor was kind of sitting on the sidelines watching, so to speak, um, we all have to wonder whether or not um, that's going to play a factor in the, in the fight when it comes to who's able to take more punishment in there. Yeah, I think it's such an intriguing matchup for that reason. And finally... Uh, next month, welterweight championship on the line. I know Kamaru Usman's been out in Denver. I don't know if you've uh, crossed paths with him in Denver, but uh, he's taking on Gilbert Burns. And um, this is a sport of matchups. I-, I personally think that this is an extremely tough matchup for Usman because I-, I feel like Burns has the advantage on the feet. And if Usman takes it to the ground, I mean, Burns' jiu-jitsu speak for itself. He's a w- world champion. Uh, do-, do you think that this is um, a tough matchup for Usman and possibly the person that's going to be able to hand him his first loss in the UFC? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's definitely an intriguing matchup for sure. Uh, going into this fight with Usman and Burns, I mean, um, uh, at the end of the day, they're they they both have power in their hands as far as uh, being able to knock guys out. Um, but as far as like um, the finesse in their striking, they I feel like they're both equal in that sense. Um, like one guy isn't more spectacular than the other when it comes to terms of uh, how pretty the strike may be or how uh, skillful it may be in that sense. Um, but when it comes to the other aspect of the fight, the grappling and the wrestling, I mean, um, the wrestling would obviously go to uh, uh, Usman's favor, but when the fight does hit the ground, what does he do then? I mean, I feel like that would be uh, right where Burns wants to be is on the ground where he's able to get uh, reversal attacks and missions and that kind of thing. So um, it's definitely going to be an intriguing matchup as far as uh, who is able to um, use their skill sets the best in order to be victorious in this fight. I can't believe you just hung up on room service so that we can have this interview. I mean, someone's probably trying to deliver some food to you, and I'm stopping it. But uh, I'll let you get to that. Thanks for your time, Neil. Uh, I really appreciate it. And uh, I'll talk to you again soon. Sorry, what was that last um, thing you said? There's this... Yeah, so I'm like getting called for uh, interviews on the phone and everything else like that. Just kind of a lot of moving pieces here in Abu Dhabi. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll let you get to it. Thanks for your time. Appreciate it yourself, Michael Kiesa, main event, January the 20th. I uh, really appreciate it, and best of luck to you. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Three fights in 2020, and Roxanne Modafferi is right back on the horse at the beginning of 2021. A big fight, Viviani Araujo. It's in Abu Dhabi this Wednesday. Uh, what's the, the time change been like for you? I guess it's about a 10-hour, 12-hour time difference? Yeah, 12 hours. It's been a challenge, you know. Um, the first night I was here... I went to bed at 4.30 in the afternoon and then woke up at midnight like, yeah, I'm ready to start my day. So that kind of stunk, but I'm trying to get adjusted now. I have a few more days. 
Yeah, I, I imagine it's probably not that easy. But yeah, and I guess the show starts pretty early. So you're on regular Abu Dhabi time once Wednesday rolls around. Um, it's it's Abu Dhabi time. Thank goodness I don't have to fight at like two in the morning. Uh, but my fight will still be late. It'll probably be like 1030 in the evening for me. So and, um, I think last time we spoke, you, you like to go to bed early, if I recall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll have to take <laughs> caffeine pills, I guess. Is that usually how you cope with it? You, t- you take some caffeine pills and you're ready to roll? Yeah. Not a five-hour energy or anything along those lines? Just regular caffeine pills. <laughs> All right. Well, hopefully those, uh, th- those kick in right in time for when you, uh, you walk into the cage. Uh, wh- what can you tell me about your opponent, Viviani Ararujo? I'm really excited to fight her. Um, it's not a rematch. I've had so many rematches lately, so it's exciting to fight somebody new. Um, she looks very fast, very strong, very quick. You know, kind of like me. Um, she's shorter than me. I have a longer reach. So I'm just excited to implement my game plan upon her. It'll be <laughs> awesome. Well, you know, it's funny. And this is something that's completely outside of your control. But I, I looked at this before I spoke to you. This is your 10th UFC fight. And you've been an underdog in every single one of them. Yet you continue to win fights. And you continue to uh, to show that you belong, of course, in the UFC. Uh, do you take that? I'm guessing you probably don't take that very personally, seeing uh, these betting odds. Oh, that's exciting. It's my 10th fight. Oh, that's awesome. I, I haven't really kept track. Um, I think against Lauren, I was not an underdog, was I? At closing, you were. But I mean, you, you opened as a favorite. Oh, really? Oh, interesting. Okay, that's cool. I mean, that's great. So my friends can make money off of me. You know, people are still thanking me for my Macy fight. You know, like, oh, thanks, Roxanne. I made so much money off of you. I'm like, it's my pleasure. Trust me. <laughs> Yeah, I guess that was no, we were cool. about a seven to one underdog in that in that particular situation. So that might be probably the biggest uh, underdog spot that any of your friends might have been able to capitalize on. Mm-hmm, I think so. So it's nearly the one year anniversary of that particular fight. Uh, you know, Macy has not gotten back into the cage. Uh, do you think that Macy still has the ability to become a champion? She's still very young, and uh, obviously you got to be in there with her and see what she's all about. Oh yeah, of course. You know, I think she works very hard. Uh, I like that. You know, she. Um... I think she's a little sassy at times, but she works hard, and I really respect that. So, you know, I, I'm rooting for her. I hope that she goes there, goes out there and has a good fight. I think she's going to fight in a few months or something. Oh, yeah. Most likely she's going to come back from that injury, so that's, that's good news for her. Um, in, in, terms of, in terms of your career, how, how many times are you looking to fight this year? It was, again, three times in 2020. This is, I believe, your 43rd fight, something along those lines. So um, how active do you plan on being this year? I'm excited. Um, I feel like I was only getting two fights a year, which is, you know, I would like more. So it was exciting for me to get three last year. Um, I'd like three or maybe even four for this this coming year, this year now. Um, I just like, I want to fight a lot. You know, I don't have forever. <laughs> um, I think including the Ultimate Fighter, I have like 48 or something fights. And uh, it'd be cool if I could break the record of the person at the gym with the most fights. I think Gunderson... A fellow at my gym has the most at like 52 or something. I'm coming for your record, Guns. <laughs> Is there a female in MMA that has more fights than you? I, I'm just thinking about that now. I, I can't think of anybody off the top of my head. Uh, yes. So there's a list. I'm trying to, I think, I think Megumi Yabushida. Did I pass her? There's some Japanese. Uh, Masako, you, um, uh, Yoshida Masako, I think, has as many as me, or maybe I've passed her by now. I forget, but we're pretty close. I'm almost there. I'm almost number one. Well, I don't think she's active anymore, so you, you can get there. <laughs> by the end of the year, you might be able to, to eclipse that record. Um, you started, I guess, 17 years ago in MMA. 
women's MMA back then was in basically the prehistoric age. You know, there were so few uh, women's mixed martial arts fights. What was your first fight like? You know, your first walk to the, the cage, it might have been a ring. I, I don't know what, I, you know, I haven't had a chance to watch your first ever fight, but what was it like compared to what it's like now? Um, so I fought in Smack Girl in Japan. It was a little ring in a nightclub. And um, yeah, this, just the level was way lower. You know, um, I was pretty much a jiu-jitsu fighter who did some kickboxing and I got hit in the face three times and I took her down and armbarred her. <laughs> so um, there's no amateur back then. So it was very different. You know, um, people were more one-dimensional back then and it was fine. Um, but now everyone has to know everything and fights are a lot more crazy like people are getting crazy like moves and techniques and stuff i don't know like it's it's different it's a different animal so prior it's to exciting that, but... and I'm, I'm sorry go ahead i'm just happy to have evolved with it you know I, i'm where i am now because i'm able to evolve you know i didn't believe in lifting weights i believed that my jujitsu technique could just beat everybody kind of like hoist gracie but as the evolution happened that was no longer possible you know i started losing all my fights so coming to the states and then getting stronger and you know, getting better kickboxing was the key to that. When you look at when you started, I guess you had been practicing judo and karate and jujitsu. Um, which, which I guess martial arts language have you improved the most at since you started your career 17 years ago? Where do you think you have uh, learned the most and improved the most? Yeah, it's, it's funny. I started with taekwondo and kempo and kickboxing, but I really took more to grappling and judo and being able to use uh, people's balance against them, you know, as the smaller fighter. And I think it's probably because I've never been physically strong or gifted as an athlete that just my body adapted better to that. And what weight class were you fighting in early on? Because there obviously weren't as many weight classes as there are now. Yeah, I was walking around at like 135, 140, and then just fighting at that weight, you know, um, you just cut a few pounds and that was it. That's what it did, you know. And then over the years, people started like cutting water weight and then I had to adapt as well and drop to flyweight. I, I guess with the flyweight division, uh, you know, ha had this been brought to the UFC years earlier, do you feel like you would have been in the UFC for a much longer time? Um, I think not because my skills were still such that I needed to develop more and I needed John Wood to do that. He's a, an amazing coach who's very specifically good for me. Um, I have a hard time finding coaches who I can um, gel with, so to speak. And he was definitely the one who had to improve me. Yeah, it's kind of interesting that you see so many people stay with their respective camps for such a long time without, you know, kind of trying out a bunch of different things. Like I look at George St. Pierre, most people consider him to be at least a top three fighter of all time. And he was like a real nomadic fighter. He did his jujitsu in New York. He did his most of his training in, in Montreal. And then he'd go uh, to Krufil Nurse for some, some other uh, different types of training. I believe his Muay Thai training. Uh, why, why do you think so many people are entrenched in one camp? And do you feel like if people try to, I guess, explore their boundaries a little bit more, they might find someone like a John Wood that you were able to click with kind of in the latter stages of your career? I think it totally depends on the person and the situation. So I've trained at a lot of gyms, like even in Japan, when I lived there for eight years, I spent four years at one gym, two years at another and two years at another. And I was kind of searching for something like one place had really great sparring, but not a lot of like good individual coaching. Another place had good classes, good grappling, but not enough kickboxing. So I was searching. Right. And then even in Vegas, like for a while, MMA, well, MMA is fantastic at syndicate um but then i wanted more like specific jujitsu training so to train gi i went to dunham's but now the jujitsu program's amazing at syndicate so i'm doing my training at syndicate now so it just kind of i think depends for me once i find something and i i know i can improve there i'll stay there but if i need something i'll go searching for it
is Vegas going to be home for you beyond your fighting career? Do you feel like you've, you've found a good place? I wasn't sure, but I, I think that's the case now, yeah. I think I'll stay. Because you're also an instructor at, at Syndicate, if I recall. Yes, I teach kids there. So, so when you when you come back after a fight and you're you're teaching your classes again, what are the kids? Do they have the kids watched your fights? Like I, I don't know what age they are. I, my son's ten, and I, I won't let him watch the UFC just yet. But uh, I'm curious what what their responses are. Yeah, I teach um, ages five through seven, and then I assist in the big kids class seven or eight through fourteen. And um, I'd say about fifty percent of them watch it. And uh, I I almost feel kind of bad like showing them violence and blood and stuff, but I always but they cheer for me and um, they kind of understand it's just an athletic competition. And um, you know the funny they say funny things. Kids say funny things, right? They're like, "Teacher, why? What's wrong with your eye? Why is it a black eye?" And I'm like, "Oh, I got punched in my fight." They're like, "Oh, you got punched?" I'm like, "Yeah." And they said, "Does it hurt?" I'm like, "Yeah, a little bit, but it's fine. I got to be tough." And then I try to like use that to <laughs> teach them life lessons or something like, "Don't street fight. This could happen." Only in sports. Yeah, they, they can learn by example, for sure. Yeah, I, I don't really, I've got three kids, but my oldest is 10, and I, I just have no idea when I should introduce him to, to this wonderful sport we have. <laughs> I guess it depends, you know, as long as they understand that it's a sport, and I don't know. I, I, I got censored a lot as a, as a kid, no blood and guts, but, I mean, that was kind of like death but this isn't death so i don't know it's kind of up to, up to up to you <laughs> and what um so at what age did, did you begin training your first fight was at 21 when did you actually enter a, a gym to learn one of the languages of combat sports in your early ages i like how you put that language of combat sports um i started taekwondo when i was 13 so i kind of got into it then so do you consider that to be a late start i'm not really sure i know a lot of people now kind of start learning MMA as a whole, I guess, you know, they now just call it MMA where you mix all of the different, um, I guess, as I put it, languages together. And a lot of people get in, they start at eight, nine, 10. I I'm always curious as to when uh, you believe a, a good age is for somebody to, to get started in, in mixed martial arts. Well, the lifespan has changed, right? Like, I feel like when I first started fighting, fighters were retired by early 30s. It was like, oh, you're 34, you're old, like, retire, right? But now people are fighting into their 40s because of the science of recovery and, you know, smart training. Um, so, but, you know, there are more, but um, now that there are more schools, I think kids are getting into judo or jujitsu instead of just karate, you know, like, they have more of a chance. So I feel like, my generation uh, of UFC fans are having kids and putting them into jiu-jitsu, right? So now, like, you're, I'm seeing we're seeing all this explo eh. We're seeing the explosion of like 20-year-olds and 19-year-olds who have been training for like 10 years, right? Um, and they're fantastic. So like, they've developed super, super athletes. So I mean, if you want to fight in the UFC, then you have a higher chance if you get put into it as like a little kid and then grow up doing it all your life. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's crazy have you put any sort of shelf life on your career i mean you're, you're the same age as i am you're 38 i, I just turned 39 but um when you when you look at your career you, you just beat andrea lee who's a top fighter in, in the flyweight division you were had a very close fight with lauren murphy who is probably almost next in line for a title shot might be maybe second in line for a title shot right now you're having a lot of success against the best people at your weight class at your current age did you think at all about when um you might want to stop doing this 
Yeah, years ago, I thought I'd be retired by mid-30s, but I feel like I found John Wood. I found Lorenzo Pavlica, my strength and conditioning coach, and man, I owe him so much. He helped me get over chronic shoulder and back and neck pain by strengthening me and like rehab stuff. So I feel like great. Like I feel better now at 38 than I did at 28. I was in such pain like every day. I could barely, barely lift my arms at 28. I was in so much pain, but now I feel awesome. Like, I don't know. It's amazing. Well, I think it speaks kind of to the evolution of the sport, right? The science is starting to pick up on it, and you're starting to see people that are able to cater strength and conditioning and medicine specifically to the sport. Yes, also uh, Terry Wallace is my massage therapist. She does, like, resistance stretching and sports massage, and she's helped keep me in shape and in the, on the training mats. And we're also seeing USADA. Now they're, I guess, I believe it was yesterday, they announced that they're no longer going to be sanctioning people for using um, cannabis or marijuana uh, going forward because they feel like there's a good um, good effects of pain management. They, they prefer that people go that route than opiates if it works for them. Um, is it interesting to see the, the sport kind of evolve from a science standpoint? Yes, to be honest, I never smoke anything or do anything like that. So I just kind of assumed that, you know, a while ago I assumed marijuana was just to get high, but then I started learning it's, man, it's really used for pain management and sleeping and anxiety reduction. So to that effect, like maybe it's useful to some regard. And, you know, I think that the times have to adapt and take that into account a little bit, you know, to a certain degree. Yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, I do a, a podcast with Joe Valtellini, who was a, a champion in glory kickboxing. And um, he, he retired due to um, head injuries. He, he didn't want to continue to risk his, uh, you know, his, his brain health going forward. But he said that uh, using cannabis w- was a good way for him to really get out of um, his depression and get out, you know, and, and manage his pain oh. rather than using opiates. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's just, I, I just find it interesting that, that, that the science continues to just evolve with the sport to, to such an extent. It, it's really quite amazing. I mean, you've been, you've been in women's MMA for about as long as women's MMA has existed. So you've gotten to see all of the different changes that the sport has, has made. What do you think is the biggest change? Like fr- from where you were 17 years ago to where you are now, what do you think has been the most important change? I guess I, I'll ask in that, in that way. Uh, I think the development of the skill and techniques, like in the past when somebody wrestled somebody to the ground you know, there's the whole lay and pray phrase. We haven't really heard lay and pray, have we? No, because people are very effective grappling. Now you take somebody down, there's a scramble. It's really entertaining. Like I haven't heard the re- people yell like, ref, stand them up very much, right? So I feel like there's a lot, there's so many more techniques. The techniques have evolved and um, the fights are just less grappler versus striker and more like a whole like art of mixed martial arts. It's kind of evolved into like that. That's what I think. It is really cool. Just as somebody who's watching, I guess, from the sidelines as someone who covers the sport, I just I can't imagine what the sport's going to look like in five years. And that's what makes it such, such a fun sport to cover. It's, it, I still feel like the sport is in its absolute infancy. And as we continue to see the growth and see people become uh, so well-versed in all of the different skill sets, I just can't imagine how the sport's going to look in five years. I, I can actually imagine. I think it's going to turn into a group of super athletes who – the most effect, the most um, successful will be the youngest ones who have started like w- when they were five and they developed and then they're young and they have all the youthful energy and power and stuff to compete. And they're so good at jujitsu and wrestling and everything. I think that's going to be like super athletes. So maybe 
weaker people like me might not have a place anymore, but we'll see. I'm still getting stronger. That's interesting because if you look at the champions, I, I think there's only, what, one champion under 30 in the entire promotion? Like, I think Piotr Jan might be oh, the really? only champion under 30. So it still seems like the, the folks that are in that kind of 30 to 35 range are, are at the championship level while the younger people are still kind of catching up. It's probably because we've evolved with the times. I don't know, in my opinion. <laughs> well, it's been cool to see. It's been awesome to watch your progression in the sport, Roxy, and, uh, and best of luck to you against Viviane Araujo. It's this Wednesday, January the 20th in Abu Dhabi. Appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Tune in. I'm joined now by the former bantamweight champion of the world, one of the top contenders still at bantamweight and also at flyweight. He is Cody Garbrandt, an undefeated 2020 and a new year for you. What are you looking forward to in 2021? Uh, first and foremost, I'm just looking forward to being back inside the octagon. Um, yeah, that's where I, I truly feel at home. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going after Jose Aldo in April. So that's the, the fight to make. I have the title shot at 125 pounds. I'm not going to wait eight months um, until the rematch with Figgy and Moreno. So it feels best for me to stay at 135 pounds and to fight Jose Aldo. That's my, uh, that's where my eyes are set on. Uh, talk to Dan, talk to Sean, um, talk to Ali. Uh, they're all for it, so uh, just about you know working the the finer details and getting it getting it uh, signed and and ready to go. Speaking of home, where is home? Are you are you in Sacramento now, or are you uh, yeah, moved to New Jersey? Uh, Sacramento. So I split my time um, in, in Sacramento and in New Jersey. Um, I go out there for a few weeks to to work with Coach Henry and Ricardo and Frankie and and um, Eddie, all those guys out in Jersey. Um, and I'm out here in, in Sacramento for the majority of my training. That's where I live. Um, Jersey's cold, you know. <laughs> I used to try to stay away from that in the, the wintertime. But I, I truly enjoy working with those guys. Uh, Coach Henry has um, tremendously helped out into in a, in a position of my life that I needed kind of that um, role model mentor, the guy that's, you know, seen the highest of highs and the lowest of lows with, you know, uh, the fighters that he's groomed from, you know, basically the beginning of their careers to world championships to to losing the world championships to battling back. And uh, just a great dude to be around. Um, so, so just pinpoint precise on wanting you to be the best that you can be, go out there and put on performance and getting the win, but also getting you back safely to your family. And that is something that um, I fell in love with with Coach Mark. Um, he's competitive as, as all get out. He wants to win at any cost. But his job is to get you back home to your family. The footwork with you and Frankie Edgar during any sort of sparring sessions you have, that must be a, a real treat for Coach Henry to watch. Yeah, I mean, I think for anybody, and even for me to be, you know, the spar Frankie, it's some, someone I really looked up to and and kind of formed a lot of the similar style. So a lot of the shit that we are sparring against, coaches yelling, and we have different codes, but sometimes it might be different, you know. So my code might be something different from his code. So me and Frankie are a lot of, you know, we respect each other in there. So it's, you know, is, is Coach Mark yelling this code for us or is he yelling for Frankie? So it's kind of a lot of you know, touch and feel kind of stuff. He gives me some great rounds. He's, uh, uh, man, he's a grinder. He's, you know, uh, he's an amazing fighter, amazing human. Uh, really, really enjoy um, being part of his team and, and training with him. Um, looked phenomenal his last fight at 35. I mean, just a testament of, you know, 
a guy that has grit, so it's, it's a warrior. I mean, if you look up definition of an MMA fighter or a fighter, uh, Frank Yeager falls in that category in every sense of the way. And uh, Coach Mark has a lot of a lot of um, you know reasonings behind that. You know, it's just a just a um, a blessing to be able to be able to work with Coach Mark, um, a great guy. You know, he he gives he gives us all everything into him and um, game plan. He game plans like no other. And um, like I said, his number one job is to get the win, but also get us home to our family, and that's what he does. That's what I respect him so much for. Is that something the team Alpha Male has kind of lacked? I know that there were head coaches. You know, Bang was a head coach for a while, uh, then Justin Buckholz, and then it kind of became a coach by committee situation. Is it still like that at Team Alpha Male? Or are there, are there more defined rules now in terms of who the head coach is and all of that? You know, I think yeah, that's that's like you said. There's been kind of coaches that kind of stemmed in and out, and I feel like what's best for us is a co-op system. You know, we have our coaches that are set MMA, you know, pro practices that teach the technique and, and run the class. And it's a co-op. You know, we have, you know, a lot of coaches that come in and, and teach differently. So it's always something new. Um, a lot of the guys are stayed to the format. Like one, you know, we might have our MMA practice, but we're working an MMA practice. The one coach might have saw something that we need to work in jiu-jitsu that some a lot of the fighters weren't doing. Or say we have one of our fighters that showed some, holes or did something good inside their fight that they want to say um you know take back to the team or correct on the team so it's it's nice man it's 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 good it's a good good spot to be in we've got a lot of tough up-and-coming fighters there are a lot of guys a lot of bodies there a lot of training partners but uh the coaching staff is 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 great there's always you know five to six coaches in there that's helping out watching sparring that's uh you know watching sparring or or just being in there giving their input you know to, to help out you know when you have 40 to 50 to 60 you know people in there you have to have a lot of coaches to to you know watch and, and help you know raise their their sparring or their training now i'm not sure how much you can speak to this oh sorry go ahead cody hey, zach mommy i'm doing media Okay. No worries. I, I don't know how much you can speak to this. Um, your, your coach, Chris Holdworth, he's been in the USADA pool for like years. Is there any chance that he ends up coming back at some point or is he focused more on coaching? Um, actually, he's out of the USADA pool. He, you know, he spoke with Sean. Um, I don't know how long ago it was, but he said, you know, I'm not coming back. You know, take me off the, the, the testing. Because, you know, it, it's, it's invasive. You know, it's, it's invasive for a lot of the part, you know, especially when you're not going to fight or have any, you know, plans to fight to be able to come. And, and they're waking up at 6 in the morning and you have to do all your whereabouts. And, you know, it was just so, for him, it was more of a nuisance because he knew he wasn't fighting. They had to do the quarterly updates and every time he left town. So it was just a lot. So he got out of it. He's also, he's um, back to competing. It's been six years since he's his last fight. And uh, he's actually doing a grappling match um, on the 23rd. Um, and he is just a, a, a martial artist. Like, you can't keep that kid out of the gym. Um, he's a great coach. He's so just, you know, well-diverse in, you know, transitioning MMA as a whole together from the strikes to the fit-ins to the grappling to the transition on the ground to transitions on the feet. Um, great to have him in my corner. He's been one of my longest active coaches out here um, besides my strength and conditioning coach, Amadea Nabella. Um, so he, he's back to competing. You know, after six years, he's doing a grappling match. So um, the 23rd, very excited for him. He's been, you know, killing it. He's he's an animal. Kid's an animal. It sucks that it was uh, cut short like that. But uh, 
um, you know, he's back in the competitiveness. So it's nice to see him. You know, he's he's in the he's in the gym, just you know, grinding, but like more so than he always is. He's just like you know, two weeks out, you know, doing things, and uh, he's always in the gym, killing, you know, strangling people. But um, it's nice to see that competitive edge. You know, and some people have it, some people don't. It's either in you, you know, it's it's, it's that's in him. And uh, I'm excited to see him go out there and compete on, on the 23rd. I thought he'd be champion one day. We're watching him on tough. Uh, he just had great size for the division, great, great technique in terms of his jiu-jitsu. His striking kept getting better. Like you said, it is you know a real shame that we didn't get to see his UFC career come into fruition. Yeah, you know it's uh, it's you know, we have to talk about it. You know, I, mean, I feel like everything happens for a reason. He's, he's he's you know took him some time, obviously. You know, from we worked your whole entire life to be cut short from a random act of just being an asshole and not taking care of our training partners. It sucks, but, you know, he's in a position where he's helping out a lot of people reach their goals, reach their dreams. You know, we've won a world championship together. We've won a lot of fights together, and he's been there, you know, through the ups and downs. And, and I feel like we're just getting started. We're about to make another, you know, title run or two, you know, in this year, see how, you know, it, it unravels. But, you know, and he, he knows his position, and he knows what he's here to do. Yeah, speaking of the, the flyweight champion, Davis and Figueredo was at Team Alpha Male for some time. Did, did you and him ever spar? Or do you have any sort of relationship with him in terms no, of... No, I never, I never trained with him. Actually, I was injured. I ended up tearing uh, some tendons in my, my wrist that took forever to heal and then had to redo it after I tore it again. So I was like back. That's when he was out here, but it never impressed me. Still doesn't impress me. Um, you know... Um, I didn't, I didn't see anything with him. I mean, whatever. I don't really. You know, I have nothing against the guy besides he's wearing the gold belt. And, um, you know, I, I had a chance to go, and obviously COVID got me. And but we're here. You know, I'm focused on Jose Aldo. That's my next fight, April. And then um, I get the re- I get the title shot, 25. But I'm not going to sit eight months and watch them rematch. And uh, I want to be active. I want to get in their fight. I want to sharpen my skills inside fight camp, outside of fight camp. And just get back in the octagon. And I really miss being in there. Um, it's 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 a different feeling being inside there. Something where you feel feel alive in there, and just all your hard work is on display. And you go out there and execute a game plan and and get the win, and or or get better if you lose, you know. So uh, I just I just miss what the martial arts does for me as and as a whole. So is that fight a done deal? Is that UFC 260 or something along those lines in, in April where that's going to take place? Do you have a contract or is this uh, something you're just looking yeah, ahead contract. to? Yeah, I'm campaigning for it right now. I spoke <laughs> with Sean, spoke with Dan, I spoke with you know my manager Ali, and they're, they're all on board for it. I think it's a great fight, especially for me not to sit eight months and fight for the flyweight title. If they're fighting in April, which I heard, then we, I fight auto. I get to fight off my contract. I get to stay sharp. I get to beat a legend, and then you know I'll fight whoever wins out of the rematch in August or September. Figueredo actually, to me, looks like a great matchup for you. I mean, he is, as you mentioned in interviews, pretty flat-footed. Uh, we've, we saw him get hit by Moreno several times, and when people get hit by you, it doesn't seem to go well uh, for them. Now, now, whether that power translates to 125, that's kind of a big mystery, but that's kind of a wait-and-see situation. It translates. It will. You know, I, I, I'm fully confident. On, I don't cut weight to 35. You know, I have to, I have to diet you know, to 25, but it won't still be a drastic cut. You know, it'll be a healthy cut. Um, right now, 143 pounds, you know, so I'm either keeping my weight low 
to go to the 25s. So we're kind of waiting to see. Or I'm going to bulk up a little bit and fight Aldo. So I feel good right here. I feel good this way. I feel strong, I feel fast. And like you said, uh, Figueredo is a great matchup for me. He's flat-footed. He throws single shots. He doesn't like the wrestling. A lot of people don't know my ground game wrestling. You know, I have I can put it on anybody in, in, in the world. So that, that's a lot of things that, you know, are variables in that fight that I lean towards me. You know, for sure. Um, I have the supreme confidence, especially after watching him get tagged up by Moreno's jab. I know my jab, uh, you know, my jab can snap people's heads back, you know. And then, obviously, the other the other power shots will put his lights out. Um, so he got, you know, showed a lot of holes in the game. You know, tough guys, you know, they went in there and battled and had a good fight back and forth. Um, but a lot of the guys had a lot of holes in the game. I feel like I'm just leveling up, you know, especially with uh, Coach Henry. You know, I think it really hit in my last fight. You know, I stayed patient, worked on what we worked on, the setups, got some knock, got a knockdown in the second round, then knocked him out towards the end of second. So, build off that. You know, he's a hard fighter to look good against. You know, he's he stays you know pretty technically sound. You know, he's beat a lot of the, the top guys, um, been around the division for a while. So to go out there and, and not get hit and display. You know, good footwork, good, good, good reads inside there. I saw everything before it was thrown. Um, you know, just being able to take take that to my next fight. You know, to my next camp, and that was my first fight camp with Coach Mark, and we did it uh, through through via text. You know, I would you know send him my my sparring rounds. He would break it down, and you know, make sure I'm working on this, do more of this. You know. Yada yada, do do some more of this. So every time I would do that, as far that's how we did it. You know, obviously because of COVID, I couldn't go back over to Jersey. But um, yeah, man, it's great. I feel like I'm just getting started. You know, I got a, a great, great. I would say head coach and Mark, and I got great coaches that are collab. You know, um, in Cali and New Jersey, so it's great. So like you said, you're at 143 right now. But if you look at uh, April, you mentioned that you, you've heard that the rematch is going to be in April. You'd like to fight Aldo in April. Is that by design yeah. where if, if, they're, if you're needed on two, three weeks notice, you'd be able to uh, step in? Yeah, so I'll keep my weight low. Like I said, if whatever fight is signed first, like something happens with Moreno and, um, and um, Figgy. I know, I mean, the UFC calls me, I'm, I'm ready to go to 25, but my sights, you know, are set on auto right now. You know, they have a rematch, it went to a draw, like, I think a draw should definitely, you know, have to be a rematch. You know, that's one thing that I, I truly do believe in rematches on that. So I'm not going to be inactive and sit and wait, like a lot of these fighters, oh, I got a shot, I got here. I'm a fighter, I want to fight, and um, auto is a great name to have and a great challenge and that's a fight that gets me up that gets me to put in extra work that gets me focused um and there's a lot a lot of you know it's just uh, it's a win-win for me so uh, that's what i'm shooting for and uh hopefully april yeah i'll be ready so these next few weeks if it's if it's it's auto then these next you know six weeks will be just kind of uh, balking a little bit and then be able to cut it off in the uh, in the camp. So we're kind of at that time frame of whether it's to stay low or put some muscle, a little bit of muscle on, back on, and and get ready for Aldo and then break it down in the fight or in the fight camp. Um, which I usually do all my fight camps around 45, 47. I've always been around that. And then two weeks before the fight, I'm usually like 41. And then I just kind of get the fight week and they give us our meals. 
uh, Weber Nutritionist I was working with last time, Trifecta, um, did it with um, DFCPI people, and it was the easiest way it could have done. And, you know, I didn't have to start watching what I ate till the fight week. So um, 25 will be, you know, a challenge, but it'll, it's doable. It's not – it's – Something I'll do, you know, from 10 weeks out, you know, be very consistent and, and dedicated on that to make sure that weight cuts good. But 35 is just is easy. It's hard for me to get gain too much weight, you know. Um, so a lot of these 35 pounders are weighing, you know, 65, 70. You know, that's that's something. You know, that's they're fighting outside of their weight class. So anyway, 25 pounder. I think Dave, Davison was weighed more than I did when he was out here. You know, so. Uh, I'm excited for that, but I, th- I think Jose Auto will be next. Yeah, I was going to mention, Davison on the Monday of Fight Week probably weighs more than you, what you weigh now. I-, I feel like you're not going to look like TJ when he moved down to 125. You're not going to look skeletal. You'll probably be quite healthy if you're currently 143. Yeah, because I think TJ walks around probably like on upwards of 55, 60. You know, I, I, my highest that I get is probably 50. You know what I mean? So I'm already at a five or eight pound deficit from what he started so yeah he looked he looked bad he looked really bad he saw his neck and shit his face but that's the first that's depleted his cheekbones but he just he just didn't look good didn't look good yeah i think you actually probably weigh i think you weighed less than cejudo did when he fought dj that those weights are made public fight night weights uh, and you were on that card i i, I feel like <laughs> if i remember correctly you weighed less than i might have even been both of them yeah i think mighty mouse i mean mighty mouse weighed the same and or maybe half a pound difference, and and Henry did way bigger. Um, so yeah, so I mean like I, but my last fight I was at I think at 52. I hydrated up to 52. I had a horrible time hydrating after that that um, second TJ fight. I don't know, man. This was, a lot of things were just didn't fall into place for me um, in that camp. Um, and then the, and then the weight cut and then re- regaining it was hard for me to replenish myself. I just felt weak, felt like I was just kind of overtrained myself. Uh, inside that and just my body just wasn't wasn't responding to what I was trying to put back into it uh, I just felt weird I just felt exhausted the whole week but who knows I want to talk about the 2020 one of the knockouts of the year your knockout over a Sun Sao. Um when I was watching that it was like watching someone hit a, hit a home run off of a tee ball like off of a tee like it looked like you were seeing that in slow motion. Did it feel like that in real time? Like you, you, I, I don't know if I've ever seen someone measure an opponent like that with, with such uh, you know, you, with such conciseness, I don't know if that's even a word, but like you, you were just so concise and so measured when that when you hit a sunset with that shot. Is that did it feel like it was almost like you were in the matrix? You know, I noticed in the first of the round when he thought he had me up against the cage. Like I, I can move really well side to side and backwards. A lot of fighters can only come forward or backward. You know, I mean they they can't fight going backwards. I feel like my footwork and lucidity inside the octagon. Is far more superior than a lot of fighters and a lot of people that a lot of fighters that they even have inside the octagon. So when they see that kind of movement speed and then they get cracked, it's like holy shit! Like I can't catch this dude. He's hitting me hard. He's fast as hell. He's tracking him down. So I stay patient with him. You know, I, I had him on the feints and and then he was biting. He was biting. And finally, you know, at the end of the first round, I was at the cage and he thought he had a little bit of you know give there and he kind of started creeping and creeping in and i was like because i remembered that i'm like all right he's gonna come so that's so why i kind of went forward and he went forward i knew he was in south ball that position that's not as you know i knew what was coming you know either the the, the, the right hook or the left that he always he would always throw and uh, we just want watching the film so i bent down and he kind of like followed me down and i knew when i had my eye on him where his um 
it wasn't going to hit me and you know it wasn't going to graze me in the jaw because I was I was pulled back enough to lean back and have my hand on the cage to see where the cage was how far I could go and I knew when he chased me when I went down I was like I knew it was over when I knew when I was coming up I just knew before I even landed the punch that he was going to be knocked out I just kind of followed him all the way to the ground so yeah it was nice and finally he, that was the first time that he really came forward um I cracked him a few times and he had a good poker face i know that he was hurt i was even talking to him you know during the fight saying oh that one hurt him and you know he would kind of banter back he said i have to do a lot more than that but i could just hit someone and tell by a look in their eyes that they did not enjoy that and um it was when we went into the scramble when i kicked him right in the face like it was like oh shit he was like what the hell is that and then i knew he tried to come forward a little bit but he, he stayed you know defensively sound um but i stayed to my game plan and, and got the win and Excited for the next one. That's all I can say. Excited for the next one. And last question to piggyback on what you just say, the, said the next one. Why Aldo? Why, why is Aldo the guy you have your eye, uh, your eye on? I know Ali's been talking about it for about a month in, in interviews uh, prior to this one. I, I, I'm um, curious okay, why he's the guy. Jose Aldo, man. I mean, you know, like when he announced that he was going down to the Bantamweight division, like, fuck, that's a great fight. That is a great fight. It was a great fight for me. Um, Silas, I just feel like that. Yeah, it's Jose Aldo, man. That guy's a legend in his right. You know, no ill will towards the guy. I'm just a competitive guy that wants to fight the best. And, um, you know, I looked good in his last fight. He came off of, you know, losing a title. And prior to that, I feel like he beat Marlon. So, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a great fight. It's a fight that motivates me. You know, I need those fights. I need those fights that are going to get me up and, and make me put the extra work in, you know. So uh, he's at he's at the chopping block. So hope he uh, wants to get down to. Yeah, it's quite cool to see him move down to bantamweight. All these years, everybody said he's going to move up to fifty-five. He cuts too much weight for forty-five, and now here he is at bantamweight, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm looking forward to seeing that. That will be a, a fantastic match uh, between yourself and, and Aldo. Those are you know two former champions, two of the best to ever do in their respective divisions. Uh, well, thanks for this, Cody. I really appreciate it, and uh, and best of luck with everything. I'm glad to hear you're healthy. Uh, that you're doing better uh, after you know um, having to fight COVID in 2020, and uh, we look forward to seeing you get back in there in April. All right, brother. Thanks for having me. Happy New Year's, and I'll uh, talk to you soon. A big thank you to our guests, Michael Chiesa, Neil Magny, Roxanne Modafferi, and Cody Garbrandt for joining us on the TSN MMA show today. Always appreciate you listening to the show and enjoying these wonderful interviews. I always enjoy speaking with these great athletes and hearing their stories, hearing their preparation, and, and everything that goes into their respective bouts. Next week's show will be a big one because we've got... Uh, a very stacked lineup. We're going to have Dustin Poirier on the show, as well as the notorious Conor McGregor will be joining us, Dana White, Michael Chandler. Might be our biggest show ever in terms of guests. You should certainly join us. Not, that's not even all of them. We've also got Dan Hooker on the show. Uh, so very exciting to to speak to all of these athletes that are competing at uh, UFC 257. And I also can't forget uh, Amanda Rebus will be joining us. So a lot, of, uh, a lot of fun guests planned for next week. I can't guarantee they're all going to be on the show, but that is the plan as I record this on this uh, Friday morning. All of the athletes have made, made weight for UFC on ABC1, the first ever ABC UFC card. I, I don't know. I was missing a word there. I guess ABC hosted, ABC broadcasted the UFC event. Uh, a big day for the sport. This, uh, this Saturday afternoon, headlined by Max Holloway and Calvin Cater, who I, I spoke to on last week's TSN MMA Show interview edition. If you have not had a chance to listen to that, I recommend you do. 
as I recommend you listen to all of our shows. And you can do so by subscribing to the TSN MMA show at any podcast platform that you can think of. And if you do subscribe to a certain platform that does not have our show, please let me know and I will contact the powers that be and make sure that uh, it does get listed there in the future. Also, the show is free and it's advertising free for the most part, uh, as far as I can remember. So all I ask in return for this wonderful show is that you go to wherever you subscribe to this podcast, you rate and review the show, give us five stars, leave a review. Always appreciate that. And, uh, I appreciate you for listening to this. This has been the TSN MMA Show. Interview edition. We'll be back next week with a full show. Myself, Bazooka Joe Valtellini, as well as perhaps our most stacked interview edition to date. So uh, please tune in. Review. Subscribe. All that great stuff. See you next week.